Welcome to The Bridge, the official podcast for the University of Maryland Baltimore School of Pharmacy Patients Program. The Patients Program is the bridge between the community and the researchers. The Patients Program created this partnership to help researchers listen to the community's voice in order to build a bridge to an effective learning healthcare community. Here's your host, Rodney Elliott. It is the 10-year anniversary of the Patients Program. 10 years. I've been with the Patients Program for five, so I've been here halfway through the journey, excited about where we're going, but I'm also excited to hear how we got started. Dr. Mullins, the Exec Director for the Patients Program, Gail Graham, who's been a partner of the Patients Program since it's in existence, since the very beginning, very beginning. And then we have Dr. Jennifer Moore, who's the Executive Director of the Institute for Medicaid Innovation. So as we talk to our guests today, you're gonna to hear how they met, um, some of the things that we've accomplished together as a team, and then also what it looks like going forward for the Patients Program. Why not start with the Executive Director of the Patients Program, Dr. Daniel Mullins. Dr. Mullins, congratulations on 10 years. I mean, we're talking 10 years of an existence of a program, Patients Program, the way I like to describe it as a research infrastructure that finds a way to build, sustain relationships in order for research to be done the right way, done effectively. Did you see 10 years in existence? Did you think when you first started the Patients Program that it would last 10 years? Actually, I did, Rodney. And part of that was I was so excited when we got that initial R24 from the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. And Dr. Jennifer Moore, who's with us today, was a fellow at AHRQ at the time and was my uh, program officer. And she had such enthusiasm for this new field called patient-centered outcomes research. Yep. Um, she was the uh, uh, epitome and exemplar of what a program officer should be. She really helped those of us who received awards to really understand how we could get the most out of these infrastructure building grants that we've been given. Um, I'm very grateful to her for the suggestions. I'm very grateful for the fact that she introduced me to the other awardees and we developed this amazing network and learned from each other. So for me, looking back, I was pretty sure that at the end of that five-year grant, we were gonna continue and continue to build to bring patient-centered outcomes research, not only to the state of Maryland, but across the country. Dr. Mullen, I like to call you when I talk to other people, speak on who you are as more like a connector, a connector of uh, entities, a connector of relationships, a connector of people, communities. And I've met two people along your journey that are uh, fantastic and have kind of been there right from the very beginning. Um, you mentioned earlier, just now talking about Jennifer Moore, Dr. Jennifer Moore and her help. Dr. Moore, can you talk about what made you realize or made you understand that Dr. Mullins has something special here and that not only was it gonna last five years, but last beyond that 10 year mark? Ronnie, that's such a great question. And, and thank you for inviting me to participate in this, this podcast. You know, it, it really centers from a, a personal space I was enrolled in Medicaid for eight years as a child, five years as adult. Mm -hmm. um, I've experienced being unhoused. I've experienced extreme levels of poverty, uh, violence in my life, and really have felt throughout my career, including my academic career, 
that it oftentimes misses the mark and that it doesn't include or elevate the voice of people in the community, people with lived experience. And so for me, the funding mechanism that Dr. Mullins had mentioned really exemplified this first opportunity to truly engage community and people with lived uh, experiences to help inform, guide, support, and also, if they choose, to participate. And, and that was novel. I mean, in the past, it's always um, community members, people with lived experience as uh, the test subjects, mm. not the leaders, not the partners. And Dr. Mullins from day one understood that and brought that to the forefront more so than any other grantee uh, that I have ever worked with, quite honestly, and really takes it seriously. And his passion for this work um, is infectious. It, it is contagious. It is, it, it expands and grows. And uh, you have personal experience working with him. You know that if there's a good idea, he's going to run with it. And, and it's going to blow up into something really big and amazing. And it's hard not to, it's hard to say no to him because you know that this is going to be something great and positive and amazing. Well, I know Dr. Mullins is being an avid walker. Uh, he definitely gets his walk in, gets his steps in during the day. So when you say he's a runner with ideas, I get that too. Um, <laughs> to be quite honest, when I first met the next guest who we're going to talk about, who's a friend of all of ours right now, and hearing her story about how she met Dr. Mullins, I want Gail to talk a little bit about how it was challenging, us, I would say, in the very beginning to buy into what Dr. Mullins was talking about? Well, I was volunteering at my church, Mount Lebanon Baptist Church, um, and my pastor, Dr. Franklin Lance, had asked me to sit into a meeting um, with a group of researchers from uh, University of Maryland. And by this time, we had a lot of different organizations and um, researchers come to our church and take advantage of our community. Mm -hmm. um, they would come in and promise different things to our community. and. Um, by this time, I was really fed up with it. Um, and he was like, come on, you know, I just want you to meet them. And I kept telling him, no, I wasn't interested and I didn't want to go into that meeting. But eventually I went into the meting and it was Dr. Mullins' team. And uh, Dr. Mullins was talking about the patients program. And I have to say, I gave him a hard time. Um, <laughs> he said, you know, he came up with different variations of his spiel and um, I just sat there and I gave him the side eye a couple of times and, you know, it was just, no, all, all the way around. No, I'm not interested. No, I'm not interested. But um, he never gave up, you know, and he uh, even sent one of his postdocs to sp uh, spend some time with me and ask me again. Um, but what really sealed the deal for me was when the team came to our World AIDS Day Testing for Turkey event and they actually um, took time and did things for our community by buying them donuts and coffee. And I turned around and looked, they were sitting there and they were holding their hands and they were listening. And for a community that um, had a high rate of HIV and AIDS and, um, you know, being uh, HIV positive myself, I know what it means to have somebody to touch you and listen to what you have to say and really care. And I saw that in this team. And when I saw that, I said, okay, you got me. Um, and from that point on, um, I was dedicated to the patients program because they not only um, showed up then, but they formed a connection that stayed with us to this day 
they realized that our community was um, a food desert and they helped with um, giving us a connection so that we could maintain and, and have food delivery with the Maryland Food yeah. Bank. You know, so they did a lot. And Dr. Mullins, um, you know, I lovingly call him my pit bull because he never gave up. A loving Pitbull. That, that's your nickname for Dr. Mullins? Because he never gave up on me. And I, I think <laughs> Pitbulls are, are beautiful and they're tenacious and they are very protective. Um, but they never, they go after what they want. And he just never gave up on me. And to this day, he is always by my side. He always pushes me. And, um, you know, I'm, he's my mentor and I love him with all my heart. In both of... Um jennifer's and, and and gail's opening conversation they talked about the connections they talk about the relationship they talk about the tenacity and belief that you have not only in your projects or your ideas but also in your community how did you envision jennifer and gail connecting and what did they bring to the patients program well i think it's appropriate on the bridge podcast to talk about how we connect people right rodney so i appreciate the way you taught me about language and and connections and the importance of that. Um, as I remember correctly, Jennifer had asked me to get involved in one of the activities that the Institute for Medicaid Innovation was doing. And it was an advisory board of sorts to help them think through some of the innovations they could do in some research. Um, and we knew because we shared that vision that, that patients' voices needed to be at the table, that we needed to have one or more patients weighing in um, and Jennifer asked me if I had a recommendation. And uh, I said, well, I sure do. I said, that's uh, Ms. Gail Graham, and I know that you'll become a big fan of hers. I would imagine, Jennifer, that you agree that I was right, that you've become a big fan of Gail's. Oh, bigger than you can imagine. <laughs> do you remember the first time you met her? Any, any reflections from that first time you met Gail? Yeah, you know, it, it's hard to capture this in a podcast, but if everyone could just close their eyes for a moment and imagining a person coming up to you with great love and compassion, wrapping their arms around you and giving you the biggest, longest hug you have ever experienced in your life. That was the very first thing that happened when I met Gail, in addition to her enormous smile and laugh and it is so disarming and you just melt in her arms and you realize that whatever Gail needs, wants, says, she gets. Mm. And um, that, that, that speaks so much volume of, of who she is as a human being. The compassion, the love, the, the insight, the commitment to the community, her perspective and expertise that she brings. It all is encapsulated in what I call a Gail hug. I, I tell everybody, when you meet Gail, she's going to give you the best hug you've ever had in your entire life. I, I agree. I agree. I, and I've also talked with Gail about how important that can be, um, especially in certain communities where people historically haven't been so willing to touch people um, who have infectious diseases. So I agree that Gail has really taught us a lot about the importance of human touch, especially for uh, individuals with lived experiences where they, they kind of miss that opportunity sometimes. And mm -hmm. yeah, really grateful for all the lessons Gail's taught me.
Gail is definitely a hugger, a huge hugger, a big hugger. And um, I did close my eyes, Jennifer, and I did envision one of the first times I did meet Gail. I want to say it was at an um, event over there at Mount Lebanon Baptist Church. Jennifer, I want to direct this question back to you, um, talking about the intersection between the work that you do over at IMI and the patients program. Um, is there an intersection? And if so, what is that? Really builds off of uh, Dr. Molam's comments just a second ago in which he mentioned his role serving on IMI's inaugural advisory board. And as we were launching IMI and really thinking about what our mission, vision, strategic priorities, values should be, we also evaluated who is at the table and who is not, and how do we bring everybody to the table? And I really appreciated Dr. Mullen's thought leadership and helping me think through how that engagement looks like and in a way that is a true partnership, given his expertise and experience leading the patients program. And as mentioned before, that led to the interaction with the initial interaction with Gail and invited her to join the advisory board. Over the years, um, Gail and I have deepened our, not only professional relationship, but our friendship and our shared experiences, our shared commitment, our shared passion for the work. And she is now serving on IMI's uh, board of directors um, in a, a very prominent role. And, ensuring that the voice of people lived experiences, communities is front and center um, in those conversations. And Gail is not one to shy uh, or to step back in conversations. She steps right in, she shares, she challenges, mm -hmm. she offers perspectives that are really critical um, at all levels of an organization, especially a governing board. And I really wish that more organizations would see that value, but recognize that the work that Dr. Mullins had started was the springboard or the domino effect, however you want to phrase it, to moving that framework, moving that concept into other settings, including at IMI with Gail and others who have since joined. Before my role as the engagement specialist for the patients program, I too went out with Dr. Mullins a couple of times um, out of the state and traveled and talked to different communities, different organizations uh, from my perspective, from my lens, as far as the community work that I was doing back then. And I didn't realize it until I got with the patients program that that is a tactic or that is something that Dr. Mullins always does. He's found, he, he, he opens up, whether it's a out of town conference or if it's a meeting here in the patients program, he finds ways to open up the session or open up the meeting with a community voice. And Gail has been that community voice a couple times. So it's a two-part question. Gail, how did you find time to volunteer so often, or to be quite honest, a phone call away being that voice in the community when Dr. Mullins does call? Well, it's easy to find the time when it's something that you love and it's something that matters to you. Um, and you're working with um, people who who has the same value that you have. Um, I have to say, starting off, I I didn't I always wanted to do a lot, but had no clue how to do it. I never I wanted to tell people 
about HIV and I didn't know how to tell them about it. Mm -hmm. Dr. Collins helped me become a national speaker. Um, he became a, me a mentor in so many ways. He helped me find my voice. I'm just a high school student, <laughs> never been to college. Um, but being around Dr. Mullins and the patients program, again, being around that table on the advisory boards uh, of different advisory boards and being made to feel equal um, and being yes. made to you know feel that your voice matters made it so easy for me to be able to speak up, uh, um, you know, to ask questions um, and not, not to be afraid. Um, and so when I was asked to be a part of um, uh, the Institute for Medicaid Innovations, yeah. um, that was an honor within itself um, because to actually have a voice to make a difference um, for Medicaid, something I also have been on um, numerous times. Uh, my children were, were on, at, you know, at one time. Um, and now, you know, to make a difference to uh, healthcare, um, you know, especially with, you know, I'm a, I'm also a caregiver for one of my family, you know, uh, advocate for one of my family members. Um, so to be able to do something like that to make a difference, so that other people will have better access and better healthcare. Um, again, you know, little old me, <laughs> you know, makes oh. a big difference. And to have, again, to have the support of people like Dr. Daniel Mullins and Dr. Jennifer Moore, who I think of as my personal pit bull and my, my, my little, my princess, you know, um, <laughs> you know, every time I see Jennifer, all I want to do is hug her because when I met her and, you know, and she told me her story and she, she made herself, she made me feel so comfortable and so at ease. And, you know, just it was just easy for us to talk. And like she said, it, it became not just a professional thing, but a personal thing. And when it becomes something like that, you know how genuine it is and you know how personal it is and how important everything we do and, you know, for our community. So, um, you know, you find the time for things that you love, for things that matter for your community. Dr. Moss, this question goes to you talking about um, what I talked about earlier about that whole community's voice, like what, where did that come from and why do you feel as though that is important to open up your speeches or to open up your conferences, having a voice from the community? I go to a lot of meetings where patients are invited into a room. They might even be invited to sit at the same table as researchers or other people with advanced degrees. And I noticed that a lot of the people with the titles will talk over the patients and they don't really open up space so that we can hear what patients have to say. Um, and my commitment was that we should then always start every meeting to make sure that we remember why we're here and that we always open up space for a patient to speak first. What I can say is that as I've traveled around the country with Gail and some of the other individuals that we now refer to as patients professors, because they've taught us how to work in their communities, that it's usually a much longer line after the talk for people who want to go up and say hello to Gail and ask her some questions than for me. And that's a good reminder to me and to everyone else that yeah. when patients share their stories and when we allow them to really give us advice about how we could do whatever we're doing better, whether it's research or healthcare, um, that those voices of patients and community stakeholders can really change 
the way we learn how to improve human health in this country and across the world. And I'm always grateful for the opportunity to hear what Gail and other patients have to say. So we will always make sure that every meeting starts with listening to the voices of patients. Jennifer, my question goes to you now. Um, being as though, you know, your role over there as the exec director uh, for IMI, during this 10-year process, from the beginning to where it is now, what have stood out about you, about Dr. Mullins and about the patients program that, what have you seen from the beginning to now that kind of reaffirms that Dr. Mullins was right about the patients program? He walks the walk and talks the talk. This wasn't just another grant. It was not just another project to leave. This, this work is deeply embedded into Dr. Mullen's DNA. Mm -hmm. And it has served the project extremely well. You know, it's what I saw oftentimes when I was serving at AHRQ is very typical of what you find in an academic institution where there's this constant cycle of going after federal grants and going after publications. And, you know, when you finish one, you go to the next and it, there's never truly this space of, I dare to say, impact. Um, yes, they talk to other folks in the academic um, environment. Yes, they publish and other academics and researchers read the work. But I've always been struck about the, the academic environment in that the metrics of success have always been new funding and publication. Okay. And Dr. Mullins really opened the eye of colleagues that the metric of success for a grant-funded project is not more grant funding, is not publication, it's the impact that you're having on the people that you're trying to serve, the communities you're trying to serve. And it was a great reminder to me that there is an alternative way of considering how you approach grant-funded projects and that truly the patient's program is the gold standard that I would hope everyone would seek to achieve. Ooh, I like that right there. Let me give some more snaps out there. The gold standard. That's that, that's pretty good. I like that, Jennifer. Grants, getting grants on grants on grants. Dr. Mullins, I would say, is kind of you know the creme de la creme when it comes to that. Publications, psh, Google his name. Tons of publications out there um, with uh, other researchers and other professors here at the university all across the world. Gail even is now a published uh, author on a couple publications. Dr. Mullins, you had no problem getting grants. I'll take that back. I'm not gonna say no problem, but you figure out a way to get grants and keep the keep the patients program rolling. Again, tons of publications. Now we're on the beginning of the second year of the PPA, the Patients Professors Academy. Again, we're 10 years in. So I would say around that eighth or ninth year, you started thinking about the PPA. Where did that come from? And what are you most proud about Patients Professor Academy? First, let me say that this idea of listening to community partners um, is so that we can have an impact. Okay. Um, but the irony is that some of the grants that we've gotten funded, the kernel 
of an idea behind those grant proposals came from a community partner. Mm. One of our current ones actually comes from the senior pastor of Mount Lebanon Baptist Church, uh, Dr. Franklin Lance, who's the pastor that Gail often talks about. And he was talking with me about the next level of commitment between academic institutions like University of Maryland, Baltimore, and community-based organizations like Mount Lebanon Baptist Church. And we really started thinking about how you could take what typically would be a memorandum of understanding that we're going to work together and really put down on paper what is the commitment between these two institutions so that for succession planning and long-term planning, it's not just two people had a conversation, but that the two institutions really understand what the commitment is. So I would argue that if you really listen, you can also get cool ideas for grants. Um, and then I followed it up with patients like Gail and others who really teach us. Um, a lot of researchers ask me, you know, how do you, how do you go out into some of the neighborhoods in West Baltimore and get people to tell you the truth? And, and I always say, but we go out into the community with leaders from the community and those leaders tell us how to enter their community. So they're teaching us. And that's why we refer to them as patients, professors, because they teach us. And in honor of the individuals like Gail who have been doing this for a decade or more, we give them the honorary title, but we ask them to teach others around the country how to raise up their voices the way Gail has learned to raise up her voice yes. to make an impact. Um, and we launched an academy with patients and caregivers, but also with researchers and with policymakers and regulators and all the different types of individuals who influence whether or not a patient would participate in research or whether or not they'd be able to maximize their health. And so patients, professors like Gail Graham will teach others how to have their voice make an impact on how we learn through research. And then how, when we learn something, we get that information back so that patients can be healthier. And we expect to train uh, more than 100 future patients professors this year. So that regardless of where someone lives in the United States, they'll be able to do what Gail does here in West Baltimore, in their town, in their city, in their state. There we go again, some more snaps. PPA has been a grand success. Um, first year was phenomenal. Second year, we're looking to even top that. So Dr. Mons, you talked about, sounds like, I like to wrap that up as like, as like a wraparound services. Like, you know, you, you, you found ways to include everyone, incorporate everyone along the process. And that is extraordinary about the patients program. When you have one of your colleagues and uh, founder, the founding executive director of, of IMI talk about how the gold standard should be the patient's program. Um, Dr. Moore, what else as far as the gold standard, like what does that mean gold standard? How does it feel to be a part of that from the very beginning? And is that something that, that, that IMI benefits from as well? Yeah, I, I really believe it centers around authentic and meaningful partnerships with community. And that seems like okay. such a easy concept. And yet most don't take the time to make that happen. And what truly makes the patients program the gold standard is its commitment and sincere commitment to meaningful uh, partnerships with community. And also, as I had mentioned before, the focus on the right metrics of success and impact 
that that makes a huge difference. When it's aligned with what is important to the community, your impact is greater. And the patients program has always represented that from the beginning, as I've said, it's part of its DNA. It has never faltered from that. Um, has always stayed the course and, and really even thought about how to expand what that means in, in many different dimensions. So for me, when I think about anything that I'm leading at IMI or when I'm interacting with other organizations, I always return back to the patient's framework, the patient's approach, uh, because it really does represent the gold standard. And at 10 years, it represents what works. We, we know that it works. We have evidence that, that shows that it works. So it's even easier now to, to speak about the program and draw people's attention to it as an approach, a way to move forward with their own work. Dr. Mullins, I have one more question for you. What's next? What's next for you and the patients program? We recently finished our strategic plan for 2023 to 2026. And what we did was have an external group interview people who have worked with us since the beginning, you know, the, the Gail Grahams, the Pastor Lentz of the world, and then also individuals who are doing what we do in other places around the country. And what's definitely next for us is continuing to grow our national reputation and our ability to help others around the country while remaining focused on West Baltimore. Um, and I'm really excited at the idea that the rest of the United States is really looking at West Baltimore as a place where we understand, because we listen to these patients' professors, how to do research differently to improve human health. And I'm not sure where that's gonna lead us over the next two to three years, but I do know that West Baltimore is gonna be a model for the nation and teach the nation how to do research to improve the diverse health across this great country. It's that simple. I like it. Dr. Mullins, one more question. Are you gonna write a book? <laughs> no, I'm not gonna write a book, but I'll write a few more articles. <laughs> you know, they have ghost writers. <laughs> because I think Again, I'm sitting here thinking about the 10 years, where it started, um, where it's gone now. Hearing Gail talk about how um, her mentor, the pit bull, stayed with her, and then Gail referenced um, Jennifer being a princess. I think a title for the book could be Princess and the Pit Bull, or a title of the article. That could be something. I don't know. Stay tuned, guys. Stay but tuned. Sounds, sounds to me like Gail should be the author of that book, not me. I agree. I agree completely. <laughs> Uh, oh, Gail, you know, know how things work on the patients program. Ideas come up, you think about it. So if an email comes through another week or so about that, I'm sorry, I apologize in advance. <laughs> That's one thing about Dr. Mullins. If you have a thought, um, keep it to yourself because if you put it out there, next thing you know, there's something that he, he assigns to you. You can be a part of it. <laughs> well, I will tell you this, Gail. I'm thankful for having an executive director who believed in a thought that myself and Eric had when it comes to staying connected to our community. The Bridge is a podcast we have right now. Eric, behind the scenes, he does a fantastic job of all of our videos, 
um, that are on social media. Um, you can check him out on YouTube, The Patience Program. He does a great job here with The Bridge, with us. And it's kind of right in both of our wheelhouses. So, but that wouldn't have came unless, you know, we've talked to our exec director and said, hey, this is an idea that we have. We think we could make it work. And um, The Patience Program is growing, but also The Bridge is growing. So um, I want to, I'm appreciative to that for him, to Eric, and also for you, Jennifer, today, and Gail, for joining us on the bridge. I truly, truly appreciate it, and thank you guys. And it's a sincere pleasure and honor for being able to participate in this. Thank you for your great idea, and thank you to Dr. Mullins for hearing the idea and running with it, and the amazing, great Gail uh, for her contribution in all of this work since the beginning. And I am also so humbled to be a part of such a great team. So thank you so much. I love you all. Thank you again, guys. Snaps for everyone. Thank you for listening to The Bridge Podcast. To learn more about the Patience Program, visit our website at www.patience.umaryland.edu.